trigger warning, trigger warning. This is a reminder, you have got a trigger. Do you know what your trigger is? It's that soft spot, that bruise that makes you see red when it gets pushed. And I don't know what your trigger is, only you know that. This podcast strives to have thoughtful adult conversation about human issues. But I'm not a professional, and I would describe lots of the topics here as things that would trigger someone. So if you find yourself being triggered by any of the issues that we talk about here, I'm asking you now to please take that opportunity to simply find something else to listen to. Also, this is not professional advice, ever, even when we talk to professionals. This is only casual conversation that is meant to promote for mindfulness and examine our own egos. Thanks. I think at that point I was afraid of all gay gay guys. Like I, I was scared of them. So I usually wouldn't become friends with them. I, I remember when I found out that David was gay because I had no idea, I was so like freaked out. And it made me kind of scared of him for a while. But again, like I was a master at sort of like shoving that all the way down. So I felt scared, but then I was like, whatever, we're just friends, no big deal. Let's keep getting drunk, I don't need to think about it. Let's keep smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, I don't need to think about it. Let's keep smoking weed, I don't need to think about it. That was the pattern. What was it about David do you think that made you feel something in the first place? He looked like a Disney prince or something. He just had this like very sweet demeanor and I was just like, whoa, what is this? But it was internal fear. It wasn't like I wasn't behaving as if I was afraid of him. We kept being friends. But I just, when I had heard that information, was very like, it bothered me. It really bothered me on some level that I didn't understand. And so did you confront that at all or you just kept smoking no. and drinking yeah. and swiping and... Yeah, no, and... did not confront that for one second. Yeah, no way. Yeah. Your necessary delusion. Your necessary delusion. Why do you keep lying to yourself? Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me, Earth Monster. I'm your host, Matt LeBlanc, and this is Your Necessary Delusion, the storytelling show that celebrates vulnerability and speaks to the darkest, messiest little parts of your heart about the lies that we tell ourselves every day, the stories that we use to get out of bed, the fantasies that we let propel our lives. We're talking to my friend Michael today, who is no stranger to telling a good story. I don't know how to not just say everything, so that's just what it is. Perfect. And these days, he lives most of his life with this open heart, but it wasn't always like that. I mean, my dad is like a very masculine guy and at times certainly toxically so. And there are some very toxic males in my family, very. And maybe that was the part of masculinity that made it so hard for Michael to touch. From a very young age, he was an art kid, and making art can be very revealing. There's something about just like connecting the line from hand to pen to paper and drawing bodies and faces that it's a weird connection that happens and I kind of go into this weird meditation zone, right? Making art is a weirdly personal and intimate experience, in my opinion. Any kind of art, if you engage with it sincerely and surrender to its power, I do believe that the process of making art has the unique ability to unearth pieces of ourselves involuntarily. 
it sounds like that's what happened to Michael when he was just in middle school. So when I got to middle school, I think that I was just becoming less and less comfortable in my own skin. And it was something that I didn't really have anyone to talk to about. I don't think my parents really thought about that as a concept for us. My mom was basically a single mom with three kids. And then my dad would have us as well. And like in an age of like non-therapy, I would say, it's not like my parents were going to be like, you seem withdrawn. Should we send you to someone to talk about this? Like that wasn't a thing. I, I was always super sensitive and I think I was sort of becoming afraid of my body and I was becoming afraid of other kids. It was such a decision that I made, but I was so young that I don't really understand like why I was so forceful with myself about that, like shutting down this whole side of myself. It was kind of like I pushed art away and jumped headlong into doing theater and stuff because I knew I could make friends with these people who were like the freaks, you know, like I was. Michael loved drawing. But then he felt parts of himself emerging that he wasn't comfortable with. He would sit in an almost meditative state, connecting the line from hand to pen to paper, drawing faces and bodies, and he felt himself losing control. Feelings were emerging that he didn't like, and so he just made the very conscious decision to stop and do theater instead. That's how I got into acting, because I saw my sister in a play, and I was like, I could do that. But his desire to do theater must have been driven by something else because it wasn't revealing the same vulnerability to him that drawing was. I was bullied a ton when I was a kid. I was told that I had like a girly voice and I had like long eyelashes and I hated sports. And, you know, it's like the typical like dorky kid that was just like not cool. Cool is such a delusion. I suddenly had no friends. I'd always had friends. It was never something I thought about. But then suddenly I wasn't cool. I just, all my friends sort of like went their other ways. It was like that time of everybody starts changing. And I was looking for a social outlet. And I saw these kids doing theater and stuff. And I was like, I could do that. And I kind of knew there was like a home for me there. Looking for his place in it all. Previously, his greatest wish had been to be a famous artist. I thought I was going to be a famous artist when I was 11 years old. I really had like a vision for myself and my family, they don't work in any creative world. But for whatever reason, I love drawing. I was obsessed with it. My grandfather actually gave me his like film projector from when he was a kid and he put the film reels in and then they play the cartoons on like a white sheet on the wall. But then I was like more into like Salvador Dali and like surrealists and just like the crazier, the better kind of thing. The crazier, the better. That sounds like a self-defining statement. At the time, I was making a lot of art with my next door neighbor who was my best friend. Let's call him Jack. We were the best of best of friends. We spent all of our time together and we would make comic books together. And we were just spending all of our time doing that, you know, because our parents worked. We, we had a lot of alone time. Michael's parents were divorced. His parents were also divorced. So he would go stay with his dad sometimes and same with me. So we'd go to each other's houses. So we're just like two kids in the valley making comic books. We just did everything. That is the San Fernando Valley he's talking about, just over the hill from Los Angeles proper. We made a comic book called Super Skank. So it was like a drag queen superhero before we even knew what drag queens were. And I don't know where any of that came from. We just kind of like, it was in our DNA or something. <laughs> but then he went too deep. Puberty was coming on fast and all of these feelings and insecurities were swarming. All of his friends seemed to be disappearing, except for Jack, and suddenly drawing this thing that he loved to do, was feeling more intimate than he could even stand. I kind of just shut it down and was like, this isn't going to happen for me. I need to switch gears. Time to switch gears. 
Suddenly it was just Michael and Jack and Super Skank. So he quit. Rather than accept that drawing and art was something that he was good at, something that came naturally to him, rather than leaning into that uncomfortable feeling, he told himself the famous artist dream was never going to happen. We both got into doing musical theater together, and he wasn't as into it, but he was just doing it because it was like fun and social. But then around ninth grade, freshman year of high school, we started drifting apart. We just started going very different directions. At the end of that year, I switched schools to go to a performing arts high school. So that kind of like really solidified that break for us. And we we pretty much lost touch from then on. When did you start telling yourself you were a freak? Well, I think people always told me things about myself that I didn't know if they were true or not. Oof, that's painfully relatable. When I was bullied and stuff, I was really like kind of fussy with like being clean. I didn't like getting my hands dirty. Like I hated that. And, you know, my dad worked in construction at the time and he builds cabinets and furniture and stuff. So he's like, what the hell? You know, like I grew up in a very like, you know, masculine leaning family, I would say. I was definitely not quite comfortable in in that sort of aggro background. Michael was kind of the effeminate art kid. I can relate. And I can also speak from personal experience. It is very hard to see yourself at that age and during most of the ages. It is just very hard to see ourselves. I mean, the thing is, like, since I was like a really little kid, I would have crushes on the girls. I'd have crushes on my teachers. I used to make art for my my kindergarten teacher. And yeah, once I got into theater, it was like suddenly I found an avenue for myself where I could get attention. People liked me. And that was my way of like sort of finding crushes within that sort of world worked for me because they would actually be into me. And what did that feel like when you got into theater and people started to like you again? You thought you were a freak and then all of a sudden you got friends. I mean, it was such a relief. These kids were way more edgy than I was. I was like such a little good boy. So how were they edgy? I mean, they were already having sex and doing drugs and partying and they took me to Rocky Horror Picture Show like such a cliche of this valley kid but like they opened my eyes they like expanded everything for me in that way and kind of like gave me a separate life outside of my family and then ninth grade I was really like oh I'm good at this then I switched my desire for like epic art person to like now I'm going to be a famous actor right like it was just like using one delusion to another I guess I appreciate you embracing the theme Then I moved high school so I could be at this sort of like epic, like fame version of high school. It was a performing arts high school. Michael went all in on musical theater. And that's when I really started excelling because I I could just like fully be like, I'm great at this. This is what I do. And so I was just obsessed. It felt like he had found his place and maybe he had, but he had also wanted to find his place so badly. And how did you feel about being in your skin at that point? I think that was always really hard because nobody ever taught me how to like take care of my body. Nobody taught me how to work out or how to eat well or any of those things. And so you're getting to an age where people become like hot and like they have these bodies and stuff. And I just didn't have that. So I just became more and more obsessed with being this amazing performer. And like, I took every dance class, every singing class, every acting class outside of this crazy high school where we were there an extra hour and a half past the time all the other kids were. My weekends were just training. So I think I Um, used that as like my escape. His escape from confronting the feelings or listening to the voices in his head. 
considering who he was and what he was doing more deeply. Who had time for that? He was busy training. This feels like a good time to ask Earth Monster, what do you keep yourself busy with? And more importantly, what is that helping you to avoid? You were able to focus on this acting dream rather than focusing on self-care or something or self-development. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like it just became, I was so tunnel vision. Like I was like a dog with a bone. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to become something from this thing. And that way, maybe I can completely avoid being myself because I may be secretly terrified of who that person turns out to be. I remember it was a big deal because I got the role of the devil in Damien Yankees and it was like this big show and it felt like being a rock star at that school. You were treated differently. Being that this was a performing arts high school in Los Angeles, Michael was going to school with famous child actors who were working, which I imagine helped the musical theater actor delusion feel all the more real. Like, these famous child actors are my contemporaries, which puts me right in line, delusion. It wasn't a normal high school. Acting and theater were treated like the most important thing. I will not mention what subject, but at my high school, like, I would skip this one class all the time. And I remember going to the finals and the teacher saying, like, you're lucky you were so damn good as the devil. Otherwise, I'd, I'd be giving you a D in this class. But instead, I'm going to give you a B minus. At a regular school, the jocks get that kind of situation. But for us at a music academy, it was like there was a little bit of that. I really started to become I thought I was like invincible, you know, like I was like, I'm doing this. And then it happened. OK, that's the way the world works, I guess. Can you hear the delusion writing itself? I had crushes on these girls, but they were always like these beautiful, like very stereotypical, pretty girls. And I would just crush on them, but I wouldn't do anything about it. I was like, so not sexual. Theater was the thing that turned him on. So I, I went to school in upstate for musical theater. First semester, I you know made friends with this girl and we just really hit it off. And I never thought that it was a sexual thing. Because I didn't have a crush on her or anything. She definitely didn't fit, like, my stereotypical, like, thing. Who's the stereotype? Like, who... I who always would say Liv Tyler via, like, Empire Records. So Liv Tyler's a standard. And then, like, what was the girl like? She was just, like, tough and cool and, like, harsh and edgy and, like, talented and just, like, didn't take shit from anybody. We became such good friends because she was, like fucking hilarious and like one of those like brassy people in college and i feel like you have sort of like a magnet for women like that in particular yeah i really do i always have michael just thought they were friends and maybe he didn't realize it but he had gotten cozy in their safe platonic dynamic and then one night we got really drunk and then she was oh, like yeah. we're gonna fuck <laughs> and i was like whoa and i was so drunk and then we did and it was like pretty awful but I was kind of mortified afterwards. Like, I remember I was just like kind of lying there, like unsure of what to do next. And so I just played possum. Like I fell asleep until she left. <laughs> what do you think that response meant? When I had sex that first time, because it went like well enough, I was like, oh, any part of myself that wasn't sure of my sexuality was like, no, no, we're good. We're good here. I guess it's a similar thing with like anything I've pursued. I can become so tunnel vision. That if it's a decision is made, like I stick to it. And that was like a decision that was made. The sex that he'd had, which he described as pretty awful, was also good enough, delusion. But it's such a good point. I can be like that. I can get so tunnel vision 
when I make a decision on something, I can sort of kick into autopilot and all additional information doesn't get examined with the same care. Because why? I've already decided. Sure, when he had had sex, it was drunken and he had played possum after. But the important part that he focused on was that he had had sex. You couldn't take that away from him. I didn't stay in that school very long. I was really homesick. I was kind of looking around at this musical theater program and all these like serious musical theater people, you know, and I was just like, oh, fuck, this is not for me. He wasn't a hardcore musical theater person after all. Maybe it had just been a good rebound delusion after he decided he wasn't going to be a famous artist and he needed a way to make friends. So you come back, you start acting, you're taking like independent acting and improv classes? Yeah, I'm taking everything. I think I want to do like movies and TV. I try to find the best teacher I can. I, I study with people that are like really big names now. And I started finding my manager and agent and all that stuff. Started auditioning and like would book a little part on a TV show once in a while or commercials or, you know, that thing. And then dating wise, I was not great at it, you know, because I wasn't leading with any sexuality. So I was like trying to meet people that would be into me for my work as an actor or just thinking I was funny or, you know, whatever kind of non-sexual like connection still leading with those qualities yeah yeah and sort of honoring those qualities in yourself more than anything else maybe. more than anything else i didn't know what i was presenting to the world even though i thought i did what did you think you were presenting i thought it was like being this smart interesting funny guy I think I thought I was like more edgy. You know, I was really leaning into all these tropes of the time. I mean, I feel like what was the music that was out then? Like the strokes and like that was the vibe and wearing a lot of vintage and just trying to be like, cool. Cool. Still a delusion. You know, it didn't even occur to me that we knew each other during this time a bit, right? Mm -hmm. The word subversive came to mind. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I was always trying to be subversive. The funny thing is that I didn't really know why. Like, what was I subverting? Subvert. To undermine a power or authority of an established system or institution. What was he trying to subvert? And who do you think you were actually presenting? Well, I've seen some footage of myself recently from that time. Perfect. And, you know, I had dyed black, crazy hair. And I was much like skinnier, like no muscle tone. Like I didn't work out. I looked like basically like a skinny little twink. Almost a little goth. Yeah. Like a goth twink. Yes. That's exactly what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Michael was in an improv class at one of the well-known theaters in Hollywood. A news crew came to our class and like filmed us. And I was like, yeah, you know, like I'm so cool. And I never saw the footage until a few years ago, but it is so crazy. I'm just like this little like goth twink shaking my ass and just being sassy and shit. I didn't feel that I was doing any of that. But did you feel like you were more effeminate than you thought that you were? Yes. I think I was a lot more wafy and effeminate than I thought I was. Like I thought I was being edgy and cool and like smart and funny and biting and all this stuff. And I was, but I was doing it in a very effeminate presenting form. Right. It was like you were actually fitting into a mold that you didn't realize was If there. I'd only known, yeah, my life would be very different. Yeah. But he didn't know. It can be very hard to see ourselves. I was always a stoner in high school, so I'd always have that in my life. I wasn't a huge drinker, but I had no real limits. Like, I'm like a total mutt, sort of ethnically, so... There are advantages to that in that you can literally just treat your body like absolute garbage sometimes and have no cause and effect. 
<laughs> you like, think it's genetic? I do, yeah. I think some people are from like kind of a sturdier stock, you know, like... I misunderstood for a second. So you think you're from a sturdier stock because you think you're a mutt. Yeah, because I'm not like a pure white person. Anyway, that was just like a theory that I had, you know, when I was young, and it kind of like kept me going. Delusion. Michael stayed in acting classes, and he worked little odd jobs in the meantime, while certain friends of his blew up around him. I grew up in L.A. Like, you know, some of my friends, like, they have done very well for themselves. And I was like, we're at the same level. Like, what the fuck's going on? So I was always pissed that I was the one who had to have these day jobs when they didn't. Without getting super specific, you probably knew people who were moderately successful to people who are like borderline household names. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. And so my feeling about it was like, by the time I'm 25, I'm supposed to be like on a hit TV show. Like, that's the way this works. I, I, you know, I was really serious about it. And I knew from enough people, like from the word on the street, like you can tell, like, I was like, Oh, I'm good at this. So I should have more opportunities. It is a hard bar to set for yourself. By the time I'm 25, I'm supposed to be on a hit TV show. I think I have a depressive streak in me for sure. And I think that was just growing with me not getting where I wanted to be in life and not fully understanding myself or my sexuality or like my social standing in terms of that. That was always the thing that kept me from being a whole person. And I think that the depression started like slowly like taking over. He said that so well. It's so universal, I think. When I've gotten too caught up in my own ideas, seeing things only through my unconscious bias, I was missing context and lacking comprehension for why things weren't going my way. I've gone from confusion to frustration to depression. Smoking cigarettes, a pack a day. Like I was like so fucking moody. Yeah. That language is so specific. Keeping me from being a whole fucking person. Mm-hmm. Was that your language then? Or is no. that your language looking back? No, I don't think I knew that then. I think I thought I had it all figured out and that the world needed to figure it out with me. And this is how he was looking at the world, how he was seeing himself when he started a new acting class. There's a little bit of prestige attached to the class and the teachers, and it felt like a step forward for me as an actor. And I was also starting to audition more and starting to get more opportunities and feel like, okay, like, you know, I'm really doing this. But when I went to that class, like when I walked in and I saw her. This is where he met her. Yes, let's call her Becky. I immediately felt the same way I had felt about every girl I ever had a serious crush on, which was, I just thought she was like stunningly beautiful and she was so smart. And I just started flirting with her like immediately. It just started pouring out of me. It was so effortless. I'd never been good at that before. And I think that I started becoming scene partners and like she kind of kept being like, whoa, are you crushing on me, dude? Maybe she was a little surprised. She was a few years older than him and Michael was not leaving any room for guessing. He liked her. And I was just so like openly just like, come to me. Like I was like, here I am. Like, and it just, it worked. We had this like deep, intense version of love. That's what I would call it now. A version of love because I think there are many different versions of love. But at that time, it was like holy all the way in, codependent, like that young sort of like us against the world kind of feeling. So you start dating her. 
Started dating her. I was living at my mom's house in the valley at the time. I was working for my grandfather's engineering firm as a draftsman. So I was doing like old school, like architectural drawings. And it's sad because like, you know, I was making great money doing that. And I was so pissed the whole time because I was just like, fuck this, I should be acting. When's my next audition? Like, that's what it was always like. No sense of gratitude whatsoever. I would say like two years in, we moved in together. And then we lived together in West Hollywood. <laughs> we were so in love. And I think we just really both saw a future together. And it seemed like just the natural next step. We were both auditioning, so there was like a little weird competitiveness to that. We were trying to be really supportive, but she definitely had some intense like jealousy stuff going on. I, I definitely get jealous of people in my life and stuff, but I think in relationships, I'm not a super jealous person in, in that way. Like I'm not constantly thinking about, can I trust you? Are you going to cheat on me? You know, right. and she was that person. I think that sort of started to like break me down. Friendships, they have like a real importance to me. They are family to me. So I think she didn't like that so much. And I mean, I know she didn't like that so much. And um, it started to become a big issue. I, I, I started to isolate myself from my friends and it just became really toxic for both of us. Really toxic, except don't forget, Michael wasn't necessarily dealing in reality at this moment. He believed that he had it all figured out and he was just waiting for the rest of the world to catch up. I, I, I have not really talked about this stuff sort of publicly, uh, but she decided all of a sudden that we needed to get married. And I had always said that I don't really believe in marriage. I believe in monogamy because I was like, I love you. I'm not looking for anybody else. Like, I just want to be with you. So if you need more than that, I'm happy to do it. But that wasn't like romantic enough. So then it, she just basically kind of gave me an ultimatum. And then I was like, okay, fine. And I like came up with a way to like ask her to marry me. Okay, fine. Let's spend the rest of our lives together or whatever. No, I'll do it if you want to. It's fine. Specific story. How'd you propose? Oh God, it's so stupid. I found a, not a thumbtack. What are they called? Like those brass fasteners, you know, that you use for notebooks. And I turned it into a ring. I think she was making cookies or something and I just like shoved it in the cookie batter and I just tried to make it a romantic like it's such like a forced rom-com moment of like oh what's this in the cookie batter oh my god wait a minute you know like you can envision what I'm saying I mean it was was that the ring though well then we went and bought a ring together oh I see okay so did you get down on one knee yeah, I did the whole thing. Yeah. But not with a lot of earnestness. I still, my whole body was like, I don't want to do this. And I was like, well, we're doing this. You've been there. Maybe not proposing to the wrong person, but you have definitely acted against your own best interest. That's what we're talking about. And more importantly, why did you do it? What was the biggest driving like motivator to do it? I think the same thing that had kept us together for the last year of our relationship was just that like I was scared for it to end and I didn't think I would ever be able to find someone else. I really yeah. felt like I was broken and that there's something wrong with me and I wasn't talking to anybody about that stuff. I didn't have an outlet for that, not with her, not with anyone. So it's definitely like a big secret locked inside that just kept, it was festering, you know? So I was like, well, I need to stay in this even though it's super toxic. So you go and tell your mom, you bring her with you. And what was that like? And my mom's just like, oh, <laughs> that was pretty much everyone's reaction. Because at that point, I pushed everyone away. Like I created these like harsh boundaries for everyone. 
you know, you can't talk to me about my relationship, like all of this shit. So we were engaged for about a week. And then she just one night was like, I don't think this is a good idea. And I was like, wow. I don't know exactly like how it happened because things started to get really bad with us. Like I started sleeping on the couch. Like she used to have these like night terrors and she would like scream at me and break up with me in the middle of the night. And then I'd wake up in the morning. She'd be like, why are you sleeping on the couch? I'm like, what? It was like that level of like, this is bananas. Like this is like, I'm living in some weird nightmare. I think that relationship, I was doing the whole white night thing and it worked for a couple of years and then it didn't work. But yeah, so she just like said that to me one night and I was like super relieved, but also pissed. I was just like, we fucking went and told my mom. Like we didn't have to do that. We just ruined that moment for her forever. I just thought it was so fucked up and like not petty, but just not, like careless, like trivial maybe. Yeah, she made it trivial. We weren't together for too many months after that. They were together for months after that, still afraid to break up. Here she was screaming out in her sleep that she wanted it to be over. But they returned the ring, and they stayed together for months, hiding under the thin veil of the delusion that they were meant to be. It still felt like she needed me to change or do something, but I was just kind of like, I'm, I was so fucking done. I was like over it. And she was like, oh, I can tell you're like over this. You told me you'd love me forever, like that whole thing. And I'm like, well, I thought I meant it at the time. So they broke up. I stopped smoking weed when I was with her because she was really anti. But Michael loves weed. And maybe that was even a little delusion, that he could stop smoking weed forever because Becky didn't like it. As soon as we broke up, like literally, <laughs> I called my best friend on the phone who I was not close with anymore because Becky was so jealous of her. And I called her and I was like, guess what? Like, it's over. And I'm so sorry. And she was like, whoa, what are you going to do? Are you okay? Like this like major. And I was like, I don't know. I just want to get stoned. I found weed in my car. Like, I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> she instructed me on how to make a pipe out of an empty Diet Coke can. And I just like pulled over on the side of the road when I got to my mom's house and just like got stoned as fuck. He hadn't even gotten all the way home before he found his way back to the habit. That was like the beginning of this next chapter. Completely starting over. Michael worked at the Apple store for a while, made some new friends. He started seeing a therapist with his new health insurance. That was positive. But when the writer's strike happened in Hollywood and all of the TV shows stopped production, all of the auditions stopped as well. So my agent shut down his agency and I had like just booked my first couple roles on like actual, actual TV shows. And then it was just like all of a sudden, like it was just done. I didn't even know if I was going to be an actor anymore. Like it was just kind of like my life was kind of over. And I switched jobs. I started working at the Magic Castle as a waiter started making better money. I got my own apartment. I want to say it was probably like a year after I was living on my own. I started meditating a lot. Ugh, I've got to start meditating. A big part of the meditation was like learning how to let thoughts sort of pass over, like they say, like clouds in the sky. And you don't have to process them. You don't have to judge them. You're just like witnessing thoughts that aren't even your own necessarily, right? Witnessing thoughts like taking a break from constantly writing your story and spinning everything in the direction of your unconscious bias. Instead, just witness the thoughts. So what started to happen was I started to have these thoughts about men and I'd be like, and just like watch them pass over. And that was the first time in my life that those thoughts would happen and I wouldn't squash them. I love the idea of letting a thought pass over you 
rather than having to squash it down. What a small adjustment that could mean so much for any of us, right? Totally. So I'm curious what a specific of one of those thoughts might have been that was passing over that how literal were the thoughts? I think sometimes they were like flashes of imagery, parts of a of a guy's body. And at that time, it was like, it'd be like a, a guy's arm or like a guy's back, you know, like it wasn't like hypersexual, but it was like, whoa, why am I thinking about that? And why am I thinking about that? And then why does it seem so um, dangerous? The last relationship that I had had with this woman, for the first time in my life, the sex wasn't working. I was, I would be like watching myself having sex, like this isn't, this doesn't feel right anymore. Hmm. And so that was freaking me out. But then because I was living by myself, I think I just started to feel more free and started to encourage myself to like explore that stuff. What stuff? Just those thoughts about like being scared of like, like suddenly I was like, I don't even know if I want to date a woman again. Like, I don't know what to do if like, if I can't have sex, like what's that going to mean about me, you know? And then with these meditations, having these like, like thoughts. So then at one point when I was meditating, I got this thought in my head of like, why don't you just like download Grindr? Because I knew that was like the gay app. And, and I was drinking really heavily at the time. I would get home from work and drink like almost a half a bottle of bourbon to myself. You know, like I was like drinking. And yeah, so one night I got really drunk after work and I downloaded Grinder and I like made a profile and just said like, I'm new to this. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And those are like sort of catnip to gay guys. They're like, oh, he's curious. Like we can turn him. <laughs> right. right. Like um, vampires. Not really, not really, but to some. He reached out to the mercy of Grinder to help figure himself out. I talked to a couple guys like for a couple nights. And then one night I was like, I'm going to do something about it. And I invited this guy over and he came over to my house and he looked nothing like his picture. I was like so mortified. <laughs> what was the reality versus the expectation? I just didn't, I didn't. I thought I was going to like hook up with like a guy that was like more, I hate to say more masculine, but I think that's basically what I mean. There's a lot of stigma in the gay community with masculinity and femininity and all that stuff, right? So it's it's tricky. But at the time, I think I was just picturing like a guy, you know, like that's like what I thought. That was like the most scary thing to do, right? This guy came in in like literal like cheetah leggings and like bleached out hair and like makeup and like also and I was like wait what <laughs> like what? like this is not like your picture and I'm very confused but it didn't matter because I was so excited my body was literally like we need to do this we talked for a little bit and then I just like threw myself at him and I just like made it happen is this the this is the first experience yeah this is my wow. first time ever hooking up with a guy. And you were in your 30s. 33, yeah. So, I mean, just imagine all the pent-up energy there is there. I was like a teenager. It's like a horny teenager. It's like I was 14 all of a sudden. Like, suddenly, like, my dick is like, this is what I've been looking for. You know, it's like that. <laughs> were you drunk? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I was very drunk. We hooked up. And then he was like, wow, that was that was kind of hot. Like that was like being in a porn almost. Like I was like, whoa. And and I remember because I was like, this feels really good. It also feels kind of the same as hooking up with a woman, like more exciting. And obviously I didn't, you know, it was new. But also it's like still just a person and a body. And there's so many similarities there. So it was kind of like, okay. But all I knew was that I needed him like to leave. <laughs> and so I told him like, yeah, so that was my first time doing that. He's like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, right. And I was like, no, I'm serious. And he's like, oh, shit. Do you need me to leave? Are you okay? And I was like, yeah, maybe it's best if you leave. Because <laughs> I just really wanted him to leave. Because he was just not the greatest. Anyway, so then he left. And I was just like, holy shit, like I did it. And then from that day forward, I was just kind of like privately all in. Like I just knew like this is what I've been needing to do literally my whole life. And I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm doing it. This sort of feels like a moment when I should jump in and say something to punctuate Michael's point, but I think we all get it. The delusion lifted and Michael's truth was revealed. First, I told my therapist and her reaction was hilarious because she was like, well, that's why you're in therapy. That's why you came here in the first place. And I was like, that was five years ago, bitch. Like, what? <laughs> She just said, like, I don't think you remember this, but the first session we had, you said, I feel like there's something about me that I don't understand and that I need to figure out. So here we are. So I was like, I don't understand what this means, though. Like, am I gay? Am I bi? Like, she's like, it really doesn't fucking matter. Just like live and like try these new things if you want to you know she was an excellent therapist like just a great guide and so yeah so i started just like hooking up with guys privately it like was the most exciting thing in the world i mean i had a, a heart on like all day every day i would be driving and just like oh my god do i need to like meet a guy right now like on my way to work it was insane like hounding it like it was so intense <laughs> there was a night where there was like a game night at my friend's house i went to this guy's place downtown we got super stoned and we like fucked and like it was like crazy i was just like i i've never experienced anything like this and then i was just like sitting there having this game night with them just with this like intense secret and it was like that for like a few months now it was everybody else who had the delusion about who michael was and how he spent his time. I did pretty quickly start coming out to people close in my life. There was like a pool party one night at someone's house, you know, mm -hmm. and there was an email chain about like what to bring or whatever. And I just, I had told that person before, I was like, should I just tell them on the email so they know, so I don't have to tell them. And Cause I just hated the idea of having to have this moment with people, right? Like, and I think I was avoiding intimacy there for sure, but I also just didn't want that. So I just said, Hey guys, looking forward to seeing everybody. Also, turns out I'm gay. Anyways, let's swim. These were all of Michael's oldest friends from high school where he started doing musical theater. The found family that knew him and loved him and were ready to celebrate him. It was amazing. And like somebody brought a cake. One of my friends brought like a bunch of bottles of champagne. Like it was just like a wild, like really sweet, a celebratory moment. It was your coming out party. Yeah, yeah, it turned into that. I think creatively, something was completely unlocked in me. And so I suddenly had something to write about. I'd been writing my whole life. I've always done like morning pages and all that stuff, but suddenly I had something to say and I wanted to say it. And maybe even more importantly, he had found his authentic voice in which he was going to say it. 
So I made that short film about like one of my first times hooking up with a guy and like how it's so magical, but also so fleeting in the gay world sometimes with these apps. Like it's like you have this amazing as you're like, wow. And then it's just like, okay, see ya. And like, you may never see that person again. Mind blowing casual hookups passing through his life like floating clouds. And I started booking acting jobs again. I got a couple of great little parts on TV again. Because you know why? Because I'm not scared of them thinking I'm gay anymore. And that was like such a huge like level up. It is the confidence and momentum that comes from real self-awareness. When you stop living out of fear and begin leading your own path with curiosity. Michael doesn't drink a half a bottle of bourbon after work anymore or chain smoke packs of cigarettes. He doesn't isolate himself in his relationship, afraid of what people who really know him might have to say. But this transition has revealed even more, a part of him that has long been buried, pushed down by an anxiety-filled preteen who didn't want to be a freak and was just looking to make friends. One night I hooked up with this guy and he was really kind of goofy and fun. I remember just like seeing him sitting on my bed, cross-legged, naked, rolling a joint, just talking to me and like flipping his glasses up. It was just, just like a cute experience, but I couldn't get it out of my head. And because of the meditation, the thought kept happening, why don't you draw that? Why don't you draw that experience? Like draw him. So I finally just sat down and did it. And then I posted it on Instagram. I think I was still really into telling everyone, hey, I'm gay. <laughs> like, I think that was still part of that. So I, anyway, I posted it and like a really surprising amount of people and also type of people responded to it, you know? I think I may have been one of those people. It was like all at once Michael revealed this massive hidden talent. Not only could he draw, but he had a style and a vision. He had real talent. And people were like, what the fuck? I didn't know you could do this. But from that point forward, I just, some part of me just decided, you know what? I'm going to draw every day. I really enjoyed that experience. I'm going to draw something every single day. So that's what I did. And it just started to sort of reconnect me with that side of myself. And I started learning how to draw, like, because I was doing it so often. And I just kind of discovered a style that felt yeah. really true to me. And uh, once that happened, it was like, oh, then people really started to notice when I started selling stuff, when people started wanting to buy it, I was like, oh, cool. I guess this is just how it works. Delusion. I don't think it hardly ever works like that. In a certain degree, I've gotten this attention for it, this sort of validation from it, like the kind of stuff that I thought I was going to get when I was a kid. And it's like so wild to me that it's coming from me mostly doing what would be considered gay art. And some of it people consider gay erotica, right? So it's so wild that it's like the thing I really wanted to do and to be could only happen if I like let myself be gay, if that makes sense. You were only able to get the thing that you fully wanted if you were able to accept who you really were. Right. Which I think that's true of all of us to a certain extent, right? Yeah, I think that's being human in a certain way. Like whenever you're avoiding yourself, you run into trouble and you keep yourself from what you actually want. In his own way, Michael is living out the dreams of his 11-year-old self because they never fully leave us. They just hide themselves inside of other dreams or find unlikely platforms to express themselves. But if you pay attention, you can see real life connecting all of the full circles that started decades before. Remember Michael's childhood friend Jack, 
They used to draw Super Skank together, until the activity made Michael feel nervous, and he quit art forever. Well, nearly three decades. He and Jack lost touch at 14, but... After I came out, we reconnected on social media, because I had like been so vocal. And he's gay as well. And he's an oil painter, it turns out. Like, a brilliantly talented, figurative oil painter. And he came into town, we met up, and he was like, your work is really great. And I was like, oh, thanks, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? And he was like about to walk away from painting and all that stuff. And we got into this show at the Tom of Finland Foundation. And then they set us up in two booths, like side by side. And we started selling our work like together all weekend long at this huge, you know, arts and culture festival, like very queer themed. And like, it was beautiful. Like we both sold so much work. We met so many amazing people. Like it was incredible. So now it's like, we're both just like doing what we were doing as kids, like in the same realm. And we're both gay. And it's like, it's just, it's, wild like life is so fucking wild i want to thank michael for his story today michael and i do not always keep close contact but we've known each other for a very long time and it seems like whenever i reach out super randomly like this he's always right there with great conversation he has helped me out with odd jobs along the way and i just have so much affection for the guy you can follow to see michael's work on instagram at mr osborne art That's M-I-S-T-E-R-O-S-B-O-R-N-E-A-R-T at Mr. Osborne Art. Michael, please consider this an open invitation anytime you feel like coming back to tell a story. Thank you for being here with me today, Earth Monster. If you have love for the show and you want to support us, you can hit us up on Venmo with 143 at Your Necessary Delusion. You can also write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That's the Purple Podcast app on your phone. Or call the voicemail with feedback on an episode or a story of your own or if you just need to vent. Hey, Matt. I'm uh, walking through Times Square right now. It's kind of rainy. You know, whenever I'm in New York, I've probably told you this before, I feel inspired. In L.A., you drive everywhere and go nowhere, as in you drive for a long time to just go a few miles. Whereas uh, just in the last hour since I've been walking, um, just in the general direction of Central Park, I've seen all kinds of things. A man openly masturbating, um, kids on their way to school, um, a couple arguing. You're sort of confronted with everyone else in such a different way than Los Angeles. So, you know, riding the subway, there's just so many ways in which people here see one another, whereas... I feel like in Los Angeles, it's really easy to just drive from point A to point B. Nobody walks, except for me. But whenever I'm here, you're just given so many things you would never normally see on a typical day in Los Angeles. So I think as a creative person and as an artist, uh, New York is always kind of restorative. And um, every time I come here, I feel like I could just stay. And I don't feel that way about a lot of places. I'm also, like, remembering all my favorite movies like Sleepless in Seattle, I'm going up to the Empire State Building tonight. That's like my favorite romantic movie ending. But I'm not expecting to meet Tom Hanks. I hope you're well. See you soon. We will be back next week with more epic everyday stories of success and redemption. Until next time.